today's message, the sovereign grace of God in God's gospel. The sovereign grace of God in God's gospel, given that we go by the name of Berean Sovereign Grace Church, we have to understand something about the sovereign grace of God. And this is why we are here, and this is why we determined not to go and join some other so-called church. Because we believe that we have a message that a lot of people don't have. A lot of people have church service, but I don't think they have the message of God's gospel. And we have to preach the gospel. Our intention is to have as many as the Lord would bring to us to hear what he has given. And we are going to play our different roles and parts to make sure that we do this. It is not for our sake that we are here. It, it is for the sake that we want all of God's elect to hear the message of God's sovereign grace in salvation. So to begin our message, I begin in a way that a lot of people will never want to hear. You are bad enough to be a Christian. You are bad enough to be a Christian, but you are not good enough to be a Christian. You are so bad that you can be a Christian, but by yourself, you are not good enough to be a Christian. Christ has to make you a Christian. And you have to be bad for Christ to make you a Christian. If you are not bad, Christ is of no use to you. He came to save those that are lost. He came to save those that are lost. Well men do not need a physician. Well men do not need a physician. So, a lot of people are confused about what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian simply means that you are so bad and you believe in Christ. You are so bad and you believe in Christ and that your status has changed from death to life. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So much that the Lord Jesus Christ would say in John 5:24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. You have passed from death into life. And if Berean Sovereign Grace Church is to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are to be the church of Christ, we have to hold to the gospel message. If we do not preach Christ, if we do not preach Christ, 
We may preach things around Christ. We may preach things about Christ, but never preach Christ. We have to preach Christ as the gospel of God. And anything else which is less than preaching Christ as the gospel of God is a synagogue of Satan. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news and it has to be good news for it to be the gospel. It's not good advice. The gospel is not good advice, as many have taken it to be. If you stop by and ask 10 Christians, professing Christians, maybe 30, maybe 100, and ask them, what is the gospel? You are going to have as many answers as the number of people that you talk to. You are going to have as many answers as the number of people that you talk to. And they will say, well, don't be dogmatic about it. Don't be dogmatic about it. God loves everyone. And this is a free country. And everyone is entitled to their opinion. As long as we are kind to one another. As long as we are kind to one another. None of them is going to be dogmatic about the gospel message. And yet the gospel is a dogmatic message. The gospel is a dogmatic message. It's a straight metal jacket. It's a straight metal jacket that you enter only by faith. Only by faith. And if you are any bigger because of your works, you have to lose weight. You have to lose weight that you may enter into the jacket of the gospel. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4 says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity that is the singleness and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. What is the apostle saying? He's saying people are prone to gladly accept a different Jesus. They are prone to accept a different Jesus than the true Jesus. They are prone to accept a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. And they are prone to accept a different gospel. And yet there is singleness. There is singleness and simplicity to the gospel. And if we are to preach the gospel that saves sinners, we have to remain attached to the singleness and the simplicity of this gospel. The gospel is not man's response to the gospel. The gospel is not our response to it. And yet many consider it as the gospel. That's why people who have the day that they th think they were born again, they hold to the day that they were born again, or the day that they think they were born again, 
more than to the gospel. So they end up putting faith in the things that has happened to them, not the things that Christ himself did. And many look at the gospel as God's rehabilitation project of a failed experiment. They look at the gospel as God's rehabilitation project of a failed experiment and turn the gospel to become like a lottery. The gospel message is coming backed up by a plan and purpose of God. This is very, very purposeful message. God is serving his elect. He's serving his people. The gospel is God's purpose of summing up all things in Christ. The gospel is God's purpose of summing, heading up, putting all things in the heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth in Christ Jesus. Now, for us to understand what the gospel is, we have to ask and answer some questions. We have to ask and answer some questions if we have to come to a proper understanding. We have to ask the question and answer the question, what is the gospel? And what does the word or term gospel mean? Because, you see, people take all these terms for granted. They never want to know what it really means to have a gospel. What does it mean to have a gospel? And we also have to understand the implications of the gospel message to us. We have to understand. Many people approach the gospel message as if they are being invited to a potluck party. They bring their own dish. They bring their own dish. They have to bring some dish to the gospel. That's not the gospel. They approach it with the mind that unless they do or feel something that they have done, they have not been saved. As long as they're not feeling something in themselves or they're feeling confident of something that they are doing, then they don't feel like they are saved. So they make it about themselves. They look at themselves for confirmations of the gospel instead of looking outside to the one who completed the work and is doing the saving. The work of the gospel was completed outside ourselves and was completed before we even showed up on the planet. And it cannot be validated by our obedience or by our experience. The gospel is only validated one way, that Christ was resurrected from the dead. The gospel message is validated one way, that Christ resurrected from the dead. The resurrection, you see, is too important to salvation and is too important to our understanding of the gospel. So back to our questions. What is the gospel? I would rephrase it and say the gospel is not a what message. The gospel is not a what message. It is a who message. The gospel is a who message. Then the proper question is, who is the gospel? 
Who is the gospel? And related to that question is, whose gospel is it? Whose gospel? Listen to what Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 and 1 and verse 9. Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Separated to the gospel of God. And verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. So the gospel is the gospel of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the who of the gospel. The gospel is always attached to a person or being. So it's either your gospel or it's God's gospel. It can be both. It's either God's gospel or it's your gospel or it's Mohammed's gospel. The gospel is God's gospel, is Jesus' gospel, because only they have a gospel. Only God and Jesus have the gospel. Oprah and friends have a gospel. Joe Austin has a gospel. The best life now. But only Christ and God have the gospel. The invitation to faith is not the gospel. Your response is not the gospel. That's why we are not going to play gimmicks and try to make false conversions of people. We are not going to make the gospel attractive to the ones who are dead in trespasses and sins. The gospel is already attractive as is. If you do not see the beauty of the gospel, then you are still dead. You are still dead. So we are not playing any gimmicks. We are not going to try and make the gospel attractive. It's an offensive message. It's a, it's a bitter message. And yet, it's the beauty and the goodness of the gospel is, is in its design. And people don't love it. People don't like the way God has designed the gospel. So many people approach the gospel as a what message. And that is how they are able to sneak themselves in and make it about themselves. If you make the gospel a what message, then you have room to put yourself in there somewhere and say, I have something that I need to do for this message to work. They forget who they are by nature. They forget who they are by nature. Like I said earlier, that we are dead in trespasses and sins before Christ comes. We are enemies of God. We are by nature children of wrath. Enemies with God. This is who we are by nature. And we can't have a gospel if that's our condition. We need the gospel in that kind of condition. Listen to Apostle Paul, Romans 7, 21 to 25. 
I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What is the problem? Apostle Paul, in this chapter, is dealing with sanctification. He is dealing with the struggle of sin. He is dealing with the struggle of looking at salvation from a what approach. He is looking at himself and is looking at himself and he is despairing for righteousness. He is seeing that whatever best things he tries to do in his mind, in his body, he is still falling short. He is trying to do. He is trying to do. And as long as we continue to try to do and to seek Rest and peace in the things that we are doing, we shall always be in that situation. You may have victory half a day. You may have victory one more day. But you will never have permanent victory as long as you treat the gospel as a what message. You have to come to the end of yourself. If the gospel is going to be anything to you, you have to come to the end of yourself. And Apostle Paul realized this by the Spirit. And he realizes that what he needs is not a what message. Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, realizes that what he needs is not a what message. What, what he needs is a who message. So when he comes to the end of this chapter, what does he say? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he finds his who, and when he finds his who... He stops right there. As soon as Apostle Paul finds his who, he doesn't go any further. He stops right there and says, I have found he who shall deliver me from this body of death. So your biggest problem is a who problem. Your biggest problem is a who problem. It's not a what problem. Am I going to have enough retirement money? Am I going to have whatever it is that cannot be answered by the way that you are thinking? It can only be answered in a who. If you find your who, end of story. If you find your who, end of story. So we have to stop trying to please God because we can't. You can't please God, but we can please God. We can please God by going to the one whom he has appointed on our behalf. The one God is pleased with is Jesus Christ. So, what is the point? The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel message 
is Jesus Christ. And it is his person and his work of redemption. The gospel is Jesus Christ and his work of redemption of his elect. This is not just an open-ended gospel message as a lot of people would have it. They are saying some things about the gospel, but they are clipping off some things that they don't like. Christ is the gospel, and he has redeemed his elect. Now, the identity of Christ is the most important aspect of the gospel. The identity of the person of Christ is the most important aspect of the gospel. If Christ is not God and man, then there's no gospel. And this revelation is not made by man. You can't make this revelation and yourself. And you can't believe it yourself unless God has revealed Christ to you. No man knows the Son except the Father. And no man knows the Father except the Son. And to whomever he decides to reveal him. So the gospel message only comes to its recipients by revelation. Christ has to be revealed to you by God. Jesus Christ cannot be revealed to you by just reading the Bible. Impossible. So anyone who professes to be a Christian and does not believe that Christ is God and man have the wrong who. And as long as you have the wrong who, whatever it is that they did is not enough to save anybody. They can't be saved. That person still needs to be born again. If your confession of Christ is not that he is the Christ, that's his humanity, the son of the living God, that's his divinity, his deity, then you are still not born again. Because everyone who is born of the Spirit will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, right? The Son of the living God. John 1 verse 1 and 2 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And verse 14 would say, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now that you know the identity of the who, the identity of the who is very important because even the Lord Jesus Christ warned and said, Many are, Christ are going to come. Many Christ. There are many Christ who are going to come and say, Here I am. I'm your Messiah. I am your deliverer. The identity of your deliverer is very, very important. But what is good about that? What is good about Yahoo? If he's God and man, what is good about that? The good news is that Yahoo has stood. On your behalf as your surety. Your who has stood on your behalf as your legal representative and substitute and has performed all the work of redemption 
that God required of him. And he has completed it. He has completed it. And has completely delivered you from danger and from all your enemies. The word gospel means glad tidings. It is a good spill of the message of victory, of deliverance from a conquering enemy. It is the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins and sonship with God restored through Christ. You see, the word gospel is never used outside the context of an enemy. In the Bible, the word gospel is never used outside the context of conquering an enemy or being delivered from an enemy. Very important. So the message of the gospel is simply that it is good news because the work of deliverance was complete and perfected and never needs to be repeated. It never needs to be repeated. By one sacrifice, he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Lord has completely delivered us from our enemies. If there's no good news in the gospel message, there's no gospel. Whatever it is, I can come and tell you that you're sinners. And you agree with me and say, yes, I'm a sinner. So what shall I do? If I can't give you the good news of the gospel, then there's no gospel in anything that I'm saying. If there's any work left for you to do, if there's any work left for you to do to gain your own victory, then that is contrary to the biblical understanding of gospel. There's no good news to be told if you are the one who is leading the charge in the battle. Because the setting in the Old Testament was you'd have an army go to war, fight their enemies, and defeat them. And after they'd defeated their enemies, they'd send a messenger back home. They would send a messenger back home to proclaim and declare the news of the victory. That is how it was used. Even in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the same word that is translated in the, Old Test- in the New Testament as gospel is translated exactly the same way. Glad tidings. Glad tidings. So the message of the gospel is always a message of victory. The message of the gospel is always a message of victory. And because the gospel is good news, it has to be announced. The nature of the gospel message is that it has to be announced. The gospel was always announced. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful, how attractive upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. 
and Berean Church. Our God truly reigns. He reigns. And he has proclaimed the glad tidings of the good things. He has proclaimed salvation to us who were imprisoned by our enemies. And our enemies were sin. Death. The devil. And our biggest enemy was God's wrath. Our biggest enemy was God's wrath. Sin doesn't do anything to you, but that's what you do anyway. That's what you've been doing. You still go home and eat. Your biggest enemy is God's wrath. And we have never experienced that. And praise the Lord, we will never have to experience it. And that is the good news of the gospel. That because of Christ, you shall never have to experience the wrath of God. Uh, Nehum verse 1.15. Nehum verse 1.15. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings. Who proclaims peace. Do you see what those passages are saying? They always... The glad tidings always have someone who is proclaiming peace. There's always one who is proclaiming peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one, that is Assyria, shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The messenger of peace brought the good news of deliverance, of freedom. And here, the Lord speaks to Judah and says, Rejoice. I'm bringing good news to you, Judah, because your enemy has been cut off. And this is the work of the preacher. The work of the preacher is to be the messenger of the glad tidings. Is to be the messenger of the glad tidings to declare the good news. And Apostle Paul would say in Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear about the good news of their deliverance from their enemies unless a preacher has been sent? So what was the message to Judah? The message to Judah was that the wicked one shall no more pass through you. Now, if you know anything about Assyria, Assyria was a very powerful nation and was powerful for centuries. It conquered every nation. It was very wealthy. It was very brutal. It had the strongest army of all the ancient nations. And it had been undisturbed for centuries. It was taking all the nations into captivity. And the Lord comes and says to Assyria, <laughs> that the wicked one shall no more pass through you. For I have dug a grave for Assyria. The Lord dug a grave for Assyria, and it said that when the Lord came and conquered the Assyrians, there was no more sign 
You couldn't even go and see any ruins of the Assyrians. He just leveled it. And nothing about Assyria has been found standing. So the message of the gospel is that the wicked one shall no more pass through you because the Lord has cut him off. The Lord says in Psalm 49, I have told the glad news of your deliverance in the great congregation. I have told the good news of your deliverance in the great congregation. So the good news always, I want to hammer this home, the good news always is talking about a deliverance. It's talking about a complete deliverance. The Lord is not saying you are still at war and we don't know the outcome of the war. The Lord is saying the war has been fought and has been won. It's been won. So we have all our enemies cut off by the Lord himself. So because of that, the believer now is reconciled to God. They have peace with God. And Apostle Paul would say in Romans 8, 1, there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. That's the gospel message. And Apostle Paul would say in Romans 5, 10, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We have been saved and we shall be saved from wrath through Christ. Now, associated to the news is the nature of the one who performed the work. And this is where a lot of people in the church stumble. People have different ideas of God. Anybody who professes to be a Christian will say, I believe God is sovereign. Or I believe God is in control. But then, once you get to the details of what God is in control of, you realize that their version of God is not in control of anything. God is either totally in control of everything that soever comes to pass, or he is not in control. You can't build categories around him and say, oh, God is this and that. He is... No. The moment that you start doing that, you are not talking about the God of the Bible. The gospel message comes from a sovereign. The gospel message is a sovereign grace gospel. It is the gospel accomplished by the design and work of God alone for the benefit of his people that he sovereignly chose to the end of his glory. The work is sovereignly completed in that the Savior was appointed by God and not man. And the Savior was also God and man. And the purpose of salvation was conceived by God and not man. And so its benefits are given to man sovereignly and freely. And what does that mean? It means God is not obligated by anything or anybody to bestow his blessings on anyone. If it's given freely, it is sovereign grace. If it is given freely by God, it's sovereign grace. 
And if it is sovereign grace, then it's always given freely. It's always given freely. It does not have or take any contribution whatsoever from the creature. And if it's been sovereignly given and freely given, it cannot be taken away from the recipient by anything that a creature may do. If salvation has been bestowed upon you this day by the working of the Lord, there is nothing that you can do or anyone can do to remove it from you. Because the nature of sovereign grace is that it is free, it is eternal, and it is irresistible. The nature of God's grace is that it is free, it cannot be bought. It is eternal, it's from everlasting to everlasting. So which means the Lord has always loved you from the beginning of time. You are the only one who did not know that the Lord loved you. You are the only one who did not know. Now that in time, the Lord has sent his messengers, he has sent his gospel, he has sent his spirit, that you may come to the realization of who you are. Your name is not Dasel Mangentini. That's your old name. You belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Praise the Lord that he has determined to do this for you. Because he has not done that to all. He has not done this to all. Here is the scriptural teaching of what a sovereign means. We have to take time to explain these things because I may not come back and preach on this again. And there may be someone who may not have had this preached anywhere. So we have to teach and teach people what the scriptures say. Here's Daniel 5 verses 18 and 19. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. This is what it means to be a sovereign. A sovereign has the power and freedom to say, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show compassion on whom I'll show compassion. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. A sovereign has the power and freedom to say, but indeed for this purpose I have raised you, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. And the sovereign, when after having said this, does not all anyone an explanation for the thing that he does. For he says, but indeed, all men, who are you to reply against God? Who the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Romans 9.10 So a sovereign does whatever he wants to whomever he wants whenever he wants and without apology. 
And whatever good he does for the creature, and whatever good he does for the creature, he does it by grace alone. There's no self-made man anywhere on this planet. It's just sinful men who are not acknowledging the grace of God in their life. So to you, the Lord wants you to know this very hour and this very day that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And he wants you to know that and if by grace then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You can't mix grace and works. It's either 100% work or 100% faith. That's how it works. Grace is, freely, is a freely given gift and it does not come with a Walmart purchase receipt that you can return and exchange for whatever else you want. You take it or you leave it. You take it or you leave it. So what is the implication that grace is unmerited? What is the implication that grace is unmerited? It implies that there's only one attitude that is appropriate for receiving such grace, and that attitude is faith. There's only one attitude by a sinner that is in keeping with grace. You can't have grace and then say, work. It doesn't hold up. It's grace and faith. Because you do not have faith by nature. Faith is a work of grace. It has to be given also. So you wonder, why does the other person not believe? They don't believe because they have not been given the faith to believe. They have not been given the faith to believe. Listen to Romans 4.16. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Faith is the only human attitude that looks outside oneself. Faith is the only human attitude. Faith. Everything else, we look to ourselves. Everything else, we look to ourselves. But faith is the only human attitude that looks outside ourselves for anything that we need. And salvation is only given by faith. Because we need the saving. We have to look outside ourselves to be saved. And if faith is granted freely and sovereignly, then it means you can't socialize, you can't educate or school anyone into it. You can't socialize, you can't educate or school anyone into faith 
because of the nature of the work. It comes from above. And you are not from above. You are from here. Christ has to bring it to you from above. And you can't grant it to anyone because by its nature, it is freely given to you by the purpose of God in election. Faith is given to you to accomplish the purpose of God in election. Election according to grace. Election according to grace. And as Apostle Paul would say, there is a remnant according to God's grace. And as Elder Morris would say, God has always been in the remnant business. God has always been in the remnant business. He never saved all the angels. He never saved all during Noah's flood. He never saved all in the wilderness. He never saved all from Egypt. And even now, God is not saving all. He has always been in the business of saving the remnant, the elect chosen according to grace. The gospel is a gospel of grace which does not run in bloodlines. The gospel of grace does not run in bloodlines. And if you have a family who are believers, praise the Lord. They are believers not because you schooled them to believe. They are only believers because God has granted grace to you. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Jacob and Esau, you know the story. They are twin brothers by the same mother, Rebecca, and father, Isaac. Romans 9, verses 9 to 12, tells us this. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall save the younger. What do we see? Not only that their father was Isaac, Isaac carried the promises of God from Abraham. You see, the problem with men when they make the gospel about themselves is they don't want to see the implication of what God is saying. What we are to see from the story of Abraham and, uh, 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 sorry, the story of Jacob and Esau is to magnify the grace of God in your own salvation. If you can profess Christ this day, that is the greatest blessing that God could ever put on you, ever in all of eternity. And this has happened not because of anything that you can do or you could do, but it came from God's electing grace. Jacob and Esau are grandchildren of Abraham. I need you to think about this. Jacob and Esau are grandchildren of Abraham. And in the Old Testament, there's no man other than Adam that is important as Abraham. Because in Abraham, God has put all the promises of the Messiah. God has spoken to Abraham 
and he says to Abraham, through your seed shall all the, seed, shall all the nations be blessed. Through your seed, Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham. And yet, God shows up and says to Jacob and Esau, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. That the purpose of God in election may stand. So God comes and he says the bad guy. Jacob was the bad guy. He was not the good guy. Esau was the good guy. But God is saying, I am showing my sovereign power in choosing whom I serve and whom I condemn. Now, this God of the Bible is not the God that uh, is being preached these days. They want to preach the God who is love and only love. And because of that, people downplay the significance of God's sovereignty in salvation. And because men downplay God's sovereignty in salvation, they also downplay his grace. They downplay his grace. The children that God wants cannot be born by man. The children that God wants cannot be born by man. He has to give them. He has to bet them. He has chosen them from before the foundation of the world. And they show up in time. And when they come, he gives them a new birth. Listen to what John says. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, listen, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This should give you a lot of freedom when it comes to dealing with the children. To know that it's only the Lord who can do this work. So what you do is you go on your knees and you pray to the Lord and ask for his grace. And say, Lord, help my unbelief. Save my children. Lord, help me. Save me and my children. That is the attitude of one who knows the nature of grace. It's a sovereign grace, and the Lord has every right to say, yes, I'm going to save your children, or no, I'm not going to save your children. Listen to what Apostle Paul says. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Apostle Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. God has a very specific number of people that he's serving. It's not random. He has a very, very specific number of people, and it's not random. In Romans 11, he says, there's a temporary hardness that has happened to Israel. The reason why Israel was rejecting the gospel, the Holy Spirit says, it's a temporary hardness because God's plan is to bring the fullness of the number of Gentiles into salvation. So God actually has 
a number of the Gentiles and a number of the Jews that have to be saved. Because he has written their names in the book of life from before the foundation of the world. Chosen from the beginning. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always to you, for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by the gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has chosen you from the beginning. And, and, and listen, to how the Spirit says the things are connected. You are chosen from the beginning, but this is how you know that you are chosen from the beginning is by believing in the truth. You are believing in the truth. And for what purpose? For obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is through the gospel. So the gospel is the message of calling out God's elect that he chose in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. This is a chapter that people don't like. People who do not like the sovereignty of God in salvation do not like this chapter. They don't read it. And yet this is the most powerful explanation of God's purpose in salvation. It's very powerful. Listen to this. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, that we who were the first to hope in Christ will be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. That's a mouthful. Essentially, this is what we are going to be preaching in one format or another. We are going to just be expanding on this, whether we are in John, whether we are in Isaiah, whether in Genesis, we are going to be expounding 
on this very text. Because it tells us God's plan and purpose of salvation. So, what are we to understand? We are to understand that God the Father, by grace, chose us. God the Father, by grace, in eternity past, before the world was formed, before the foundation of the world, God the Father chose us to be saved in Christ Jesus. And this he did for the purpose of his glory in Christ. And if God purposed to do this for his glory in Christ before the foundation of the world, this plan is not going to fail because of you. This plan is not going to fail. We learn that Christ is the gospel and this gospel has to the end of the exaltation of the glorious grace of God. And God is never going to fail to glorify himself. We learn that this work is a work of God, of a sovereign God, the Father choosing us in Christ, the Son redeeming us by his blood, and the Spirit sanctifying us in his truth. And a gospel then that denies this purpose of God in all things. The gospel that denies God's sovereign election denies God's sovereign grace. And it cannot answer your need for a who. It cannot answer your need for a who. A gospel that denies that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is not a gospel that saves a gospel that denies that Jesus is both God and man is not the gospel. It is another gospel. And it can't save anyone, even a cockroach. A gospel that tells you what work you have to do. A gospel that tells you steps that you have to follow to be accepted by a holy and righteous God is not a gospel. The work of God is to believe in him whom he sent. The work of God is to believe in Christ. Christ has performed all the work. Christ has made you accepted by God. There's no more work to be done. The gospel message has no more work to be done other than to declare the news. There's no more work to be done. There's no more work to be done. The gospel invites you to enter into God's rest. Enter into God's rest through Christ Jesus. So the appeal that we make, Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 5, for the appeal we make does not come from error or impurity or with deceit but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so we declare it not to please people but God who examines our hearts so we have to declare the gospel 
We have to declare the gospel. That's the charge that we have been given. Everything else is secondary. And all the movements that you see in the church, all the things that men do in the church, they start bringing long dresses. They'll bring whatever it is that men start to do in the church to identify themselves as Christians is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is to declare a complete, a finished, and perfected work in Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel is. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to teach your gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. We come before you because of the gospel of Christ. For we were burdened by our sins. As the psalmist would say, as we read in Psalm 65, our iniquities prevailed against us. Our iniquities were all of us. And had it not been of the gospel of Christ that gave us a who, we of all men will be helpless. Lord, we thank you for the who, who is Christ Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of Christ in performing the work of delivering us from our enemies. And we pray that we continue to declare this news to as many as you have given ears to hear. And as many as have been ordained to eternal life. That they should stop working because the work is already done. Lord, I pray for your people here at Berean Sovereign Grace. That you may grow them in the knowledge of the gospel that they may declare the gospel as the good news of salvation, that they may declare to their neighbors and all around them, to their children, that they may know that our God is in the heavens and he has been reconciled to us through the blood of his Son. We pray, Lord, for your people in the nursing homes. We remember the saints at New Albany Gardens, at Emeritus, Lord, who are despairing for one reason or the other, despairing for security, despairing for lack of health. Our Lord, may you cause them this hour to look to Christ. Our Lord, I pray that you put your words in Brother Guido tonight as he preached to your people, that he may say, the things that are needful for your people to hear, that they may know that Christ is their who, that they need a who if they are going to make, make it through a life. Lord, we pray and thank you for bringing the ones you have brought today. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to apply this understanding to their minds and to their hearts as they go through the scriptures, as they go through the conversations Lord, may you use one or two of the truth that you've given us this day. Uh, Lord, may you be with us this wonderful day. 
and be with us the rest of the week. And I pray, Lord, that you bring us back again uh, next week. And we pray, Lord, that you bring more people. We ask, Lord, that you bring more people to bury and sovereign grace. Bring your people, Lord, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.